Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Today we're looking at a letter that was written by a man by the name of Paul to a church that was gathering in a city called Corinth, and he was writing this letter to them to admonish them, to encourage them, to speak to them about the work of Jesus on their behalf. So I want you to follow along with me in verse 1. We'll read down through verse 8 for our scripture reading today. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's that Easter account. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared to me. If you're writing some things down this morning and if you're keeping any notes, as I would encourage you to do, there's a big idea that sits over top of this text, and we'll unpack it for the next 30 minutes or so, and it's this. Easter announces the good news of God to mankind. Easter announces the good news. We like good news, don't we? It's better than the alternative. Easter announces the good news of God to mankind. Now, the Super Bowl came to the Phoenix area this year, and that was pretty good news for our city. Anybody go? Curious? Anybody go? Nobody in the first service went. None of you went? One. All right. Joe, it's good to see you this morning. (laughs) Joe went to the Super Bowl. Now, I didn't go to the Super Bowl because I'm a pastor and I work on Sundays, so I couldn't go, but I watched it in the afternoon. I'm from Philly, so I was rooting for the Phillies. Sorry, Joe, we lost. (laughs) So the Phillies didn't do do so great. But on the same weekend as the Super Bowl, there was another big event that was in our city as well, and it was the the Waste Management Tournament, the PGA Tournament. It was a five-day-long tournament that came here to the city, golf, if you're into golf. So we had the Super Bowl here, we had football here, we had golf here, and all of that meant some really good news for our city. Some 800,000 fans descended upon the Phoenix metro area. There were over 6,000 media personnel who were commentating on the event. Then there were businesses and corporations that came to the area just because those events were going on. And so all of that meant a lot of increased revenue for the city. Increased tax revenue because of sales tax and gas tax and hotel tax and restaurant tax and food tax. Hotels were increasing their rate. If you were trying to find a room in the area, it was like 200 or 300% increase on the average nightly rate. Restaurants and bars and hotels were hiring more people and giving people more jobs because of the increased number of people that were coming into the city. And then there was overtime. And someone estimated that Nearly $1 billion in additional revenue came to our city 
that one weekend alone because of those two events. That's some pretty good news for the city. Now, I don't know what brought you here today. Maybe this is your church. Maybe this is where you come every week, and so you're here. Maybe a friend or a neighbor invited you, so you're here. Maybe a family member promised you lunch after the service, and so, hey, I'll do that, so I'll go to church with you and go to lunch afterwards, so you're here. Maybe you're not even sure why you're here. But regardless of what has brought you into the room this morning, I want you to know that God has good news for you today. Easter is the announcement of his good news to mankind. And so today we want to answer this question, why is God's news good news? What makes it good? Why is God's news good news? And our text is going to give us three reasons why God's news is good news. It's going to look like this if you're keeping notes. It's good news because, number one, Jesus made it all possible. Jesus made it all possible. Look at verse 1 of our text, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Paul, the writer here, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. The word gospel means good news. It's good news. And then he's going to unpack it. He's going to give us this textbook definition of the gospel in verses 3 and 4. Look at it again. He says, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that, here it is, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That is the gospel truth. That is the good news of the gospel. And it's good news because Jesus did all of this for us. This good news reminds us that Jesus died for our sins. Now, we don't use that word very much in our culture today. You're not going to hear people at work throwing around the sin word. It's kind of something that we talk about in church. But what is sin? It's a Bible word. And there's imagery behind that word. It means to miss the mark. Picture a dartboard with that bullseye in the center. The bullseye is the perfect, the perfect standard, the perfection of God, the holiness of God. And we, in our frailty and in our humanity, we have sinned, and so we have just completely missed the mark. My jealousy, my pride, my anger, my prejudice, my lust, my comparison, my greed, it's sin. It misses the standard of a holy God. And the prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus would be born of a virgin, said this, but he, speaking of that coming Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sins of us all. Say, that doesn't sound like good news. Well, it's good news because Jesus died in our place. He died for our sins, but then he was buried, Paul tells us in this account. He was buried. That is the confirmation that he died, and some were trying to cover that up. Some were trying to discredit that he actually died and that he rose again the third day, and so Paul wants you to make sure that you understand the reality of this fact. He didn't just hang on a cross, but he actually died and was buried in a tomb. And so a Roman centurion, who would have been well acquainted with death, confirmed that Jesus was in fact dead. And they took him off of that cross, and then a wealthy man by the name of Joseph from Arimathea requested that that body be given to him. And he wrapped that body and he laid it in his own tomb that had recently been carved out. And then he rolled a stone in front of that tomb. 
Well, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, were, were afraid that the followers of Jesus were going to come and steal that body out and sort of create this farce and this cover-up that Jesus had raised from the dead as he promised. So they said to the Roman leaders, would you put some guards in front of that tomb? And so they placed some guards in front of that tomb. So Jesus died and he was buried. And there on that Friday night and on that Saturday, we feel and sense the tension of that moment. Seemingly, all hope has been lost. But the story doesn't end there. Because three days later, in fulfillment of his own prophecy, when Jesus said, if you tear this temple down, in three days I will raise it up again, Jesus rose from the dead. And that's good news. So Paul says, yes, he died for our sins, and yes, he was buried, but three days later, he rose from the grave And so let me read to you the account of the physician Luke who said this in Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, the women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen. Understand this morning that the resurrection of Jesus is a big deal. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he is not God. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you and I are still hopelessly lost, condemned in our sin. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is a farce. It's fake. Let's just pack this whole thing up. Let's go on home. Let's get to our Easter lunches and our Easter egg hunts and our Cadbury eggs. We're wasting our time. But he did. Three days later, he did rise from the dead. And Paul is so confident that even for the skeptics in his day, he says, go find the eyewitnesses. Find Cephas, find James, find the 12. Hey, there's 500 eyewitnesses. Some of them have passed away, but many of them are still alive. Go talk to them. And you will see for yourself, those who saw the resurrected Christ, that he is, in fact, alive. That's good news. The resurrection is a big deal. Jesus did everything necessary for you and for me so that we could be restored to a relationship with God. Neurologists say that we are born looking for someone who is looking for us. My wife and I have four boys, and so four times we have seen, I have witnessed this phenomenon of a baby that is only moments old looking up into the face of his mother. And that amazing look on their face as they see the one who has been looking for them, anticipating their arrival for nine months. You know, God has been looking for you. He's been pursuing you. He's done everything possible to make a way for you to be brought back to him. And someone has said that we have a God-sized hole in our heart and we spend our lives trying to fill that hole with things and with stuff and with money and with success and with career and with relationships and with fame. But all the while, the one who has been looking for us is the only one who can fill that hole and it is God himself. He has done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with him. It's good news because Jesus made it possible. God's news is good news, number two, because it establishes my relationship with God. Look again at verse one. 
Paul, the writer here, says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, that's the good news, that I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So if point number one was the what, point number two is the why. And the why is because God desires a relationship with you. Do you believe that this morning? That God has come near so that you could have a relationship with him. He has done everything necessary for that relationship to be made possible. And he desires you to be brought near to him. Paul unpacks three realities about the good news of this relationship right here in the text. First, he says that you have received this. This means for it to be passed on. And in antiquity, truth was passed on orally through stories and through creeds and through memorized scripture. So he's saying to them, this has been passed on. This truth has been uh, shared with you. You have received this. Paul says himself that he had received it. Now he's acknowledging that they had received it. And now today you are receiving it from me. This truth is being passed on, but it's not enough just to receive the good news of this relationship. Paul says, secondly, that it is that in which we stand. So we receive the good news, but then we stand on the good news. See, it's not enough just to come to church on Easter and say, man, that was a good message, that was a good service, those were some really good truths. Yeah, I sort of agree with that. That seems like a good thing to believe in. That's not enough. This must be something that we ground our lives on. It is the basis, the foundation of our very faith that Jesus died, was buried, and then he rose again so that now I don't just receive that, but I place faith in that and I stand on that and my life is grounded in that truth. And then he says this, by which you are being saved. See, it's not just that I receive the good news of a relationship and build my life on the good news of a relationship, but I'm also being continually transformed by that and through that relationship. Now, for the Bible students this morning, we understand that this salvation happens at a moment. There is a moment when we are made right with God and nothing can change that. But what Paul is speaking of is the process beyond that moment when we are being formed more and more into the image of Christ. It is that sanctification process where we are becoming more and more who we already are in Christ. So for followers of Jesus this morning, we are a work in progress We're not all put together. We're not all figured out. We are being rescued and salvaged and saved by the continual work of Christ in our lives. There is this misconception around Christianity that Jesus only accepts people that are all put together. Can I just tell you that there's nothing that could be further from the truth? As a matter of fact, if you think you are all put together, you would be more like the religious people in the scriptures that Jesus often condemns. So God still has got some work to do in you for you to realize just how imperfect you are and how much you need his perfect son to do for you what you could not do for yourself. So no, it is not about our perfection. It is about the perfect son of God taking up residence in us through the person of the spirit and transforming us and working us into the image of his son. If you were to travel up to the Musical Instrument Museum in northern Phoenix, it's a wonderful day trip, by the way. Take your kids if you've got some and You can walk through this museum and there are displays all throughout this museum and you can go to literally different parts of the world in this museum and you can enjoy their music. And different displays have instruments that are put up so that you can see what the music looks like and and there are displays and you've got headphones and you can listen into the music. Well, one of those displays in particular up here on the screen is one called the Recycled Orchestra. 
This recycled orchestra comes from a shanty town built on a landfill in Keturah, Paraguay. And the people that live in this town, literally on the landfill, they make their living by scavenging through the landfill to find things of value that they can sell and make some money and buy food and just have a life. One man in particular named Fabio Chavez decided that he would go through this landfill and try to find things that could be made into musical instruments. So he found old pots and pans and old metal barrels and old forks and spoons and buttons and just anything that he could make into an instrument. And in this picture, you see some of the instruments that he made from that trash heap. And then Fabio Chavez went around to the children that lived in this shanty village. And he began to teach them how to play music. And now there is an internationally known orchestra of young adults and young people from this village who are playing these instruments and they travel the world and they are known as the Recycled Orchestra. You can look them up on YouTube at lunch today. But on this display, there's a little placard and it's a quote from Fabio, the director who leads this orchestra and it says this, the world sends us garbage, we send back music. That is the work of Jesus in our lives. He takes the trash heap, wrecked and ruined by sin, scarred by life, damaged by all that life brings, and he transforms it, and he saves us, and he works in us something beautiful, and then he sends us back to the world, a symphony of praise that brings glory to him alone. Understand this morning, you are valuable to God. Now, you might not believe that. You might argue with me even as I say that. Maybe there was a parent, a dad, or a mom who said things to you when you were a child and, and they, they demeaned you and berated you and said that you were worthless and wouldn't amount to anything and you've been believing it your whole life. Maybe you had a spouse that discarded you because they found somebody that they deemed of greater value than you. Maybe you've had a friend betray you or stab you in the back and so you hear a statement like that, that God values you and you don't believe it. And you, you think to yourself, John, how can you be so sure that God would value me? Because I know how much he values his son. And he gave his son so that he could take the rubble and the wreckage of your life and make something beautiful from it that would be a reflection of his glory. You might look around this morning. You might feel a little out of place. Listen, don't let our Easter Sunday best fool you. I don't normally wear this suit jacket. I'm wearing this in case my mom watches the live stream. We're a little extra dressed up this morning, but don't let that fool you. We are just a recycled orchestra that God has taken and renewed and restored and transformed through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. God wants a relationship with you. So much so that he sent his son to do everything necessary so that you could be brought back into and salvaged into a relationship and restored. And that's good news. God's news is good news because Jesus made it all possible. God's news is good news because it establishes my relationship with God. And God's news is good news because it's mine by simple faith. Simple faith. I want you to see it in the text. The second half of verse 2. Paul writes and makes this statement, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What is belief? 
Belief is simple faith. But he's saying that those who are going to hold fast, those who are going to continue in this gospel, evidence that they have believed, and those who don't hold fast, those who would turn away from this good news, evidence that they have believed, but it's been a belief that's been in vain. It's been pointless. It's empty. What does empty belief look like? Is that a thing? Like, what does that look like in the life of an individual? Vain belief or empty belief could be intellectual belief. In other words, it affects the mind, but never the heart and the will. There are some facts. There are some truths. There is some history. There might even be some religion. We know some things to be true about God, but it never really affects anything else in our life. It's just intellectual. It's empty. Then there's emotional belief. Emotional belief affects the heart, but it doesn't get to the mind. It doesn't affect the will, at least not enough. This emotional belief is an experience. Well, I went to church today, and it was good. The music was vibing, and the message made me cry. And boy, everybody was moving, and everybody was doing stuff. And I, I just kind of went along with the flow, and it's just emotional. But there's not really any lasting effect on your life. There's intellectual belief, emotional belief, and then there's mechanical belief. This affects the will, but never the heart and the mind. Just kind of going through the motions. And if you had a mom or a dad or maybe a grandparent who brought you to church when you were younger, maybe you got into that routine of just mechanical belief, just going through the motions. But true saving faith affects all three. It affects our mind because we know what is true. It affects our heart because we desire what is true. And it affects our will because now we want to live according to what is true. Our belief affects our behavior. And Paul wants them not to believe in vain. And by the way, he assures them that he does believe that they have true saving belief. Down in verse 11, he says, So we preach and so you believe. But often, we overcomplicate what God meant to be simple. Do you know how we do that? We make salvation more about what I can do for God rather than what God has done for me. I want to illustrate this for you. What we do is in our minds, we build a scale. And on this scale, we kind of create this scenario where we hope that we can accomplish some good with our life. And so we set this scale up. On one side of the scale, we put our good works all the things that we accomplish, all the things that we can do. And on the other side, we put our bad works. I mean, this is just kind of the reality of life. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's put together. And so we start to live our life. And obviously, like, we can't really help it. Some things are going to start to happen in our life that we're not too proud of. We start to commit some of these things that would fall under that category of sin. We say some things we shouldn't say. We do some things we shouldn't do. We're unkind to our spouse. We treat our kids without the dignity that they deserve as image bearers of God. We lie. We steal. We cheat. Then we, then we get addicted to just selfishness and what, what benefits us and how we can get ahead. And then we get addicted to substance and we get addicted to stuff. And we get addicted to social media. And we just kind of like, we start to live our life consumed with us. And then we look at the scale and we're like, man, this doesn't look so good. i got to fix this. 
So we come over to the other side of the scale because that's not good. We're not proud of that, but it's just the reality of life. So we come over to this side. We're like, all right, I need to start kind of tipping the scale in my favor here. So I'm going to start to do some good stuff. And this looks different for different people. For some people, this is religion. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray some prayers. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to give some money. I mean, these are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tip the scale with these good things. For other people, it looks like activism. I'm going to stand up for the marginalized, those who are outcast and pushed to the fringes of society, which, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if that's my attempt to tip the scale in my favor and outweigh my bad, then I'm being misled. Then there are the bootstrap people. The bootstrap people are those who just, I'm going to, do, I'm going to pick myself up by my own bootstraps. And I did all this bad stuff, so I'm just going to make it all right, and I'm going to try to do all this good stuff to try to outweigh my bad. And boy, just, I just I keep throwing stuff in here, and it just doesn't seem to make much of a difference on this scale. Can I just tell you this morning, this right here, this is bad news. It's bad news because it's all about me. Even my good works are about me. Because I'm, I'm trying to do good things to tip the scale because of my bad stuff. The bad stuff's all about me, and I'm not proud of that, but that's just the reality of it. So the good works are all about me, too, because I'm trying to fix the problem that I created. And so all the attention is on me. Let me ask you some questions. How many good works outweigh bad works? Which one weighs more, good works or bad works? Do some bad works weigh more than other bad works? What if, we get up and, what if I get up and I stand before God and I'm like, one good work short. Can I borrow one from you? <laughs> like tip the scale in my favor? And this is how we live our life. This is this first scenario, and it's just an endless spiral of trying to tip the scales in our favor. But what I want to do is I want to paint a different scenario for you. What if instead of on this side with my good works, we take Jesus' good works for me? His death and his burial, and his resurrection in my place. And then, what if we were to, by simple faith, not by works, not by deeds, not by my own goodness, but by simple faith in Jesus, take all of what is bad and just give it to Jesus. Just dump it in there. So that now, by simple faith in Christ, I've taken everything that is wrong about my life and I've placed it on Jesus. So when he hangs on that cross, he's not dying for his own sin because he didn't have any. He's dying for mine. Hanging on that cross. And now, on this side, instead of my bad works, my bad works have been canceled out. And I have forgiveness and new life. And this right here, this is good news. That's good news. Because that's not about me. And it's not about what I've done. And it's not about what I've accomplished. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's accomplished. And that, friends, that is the good news of Easter. And if you've been trusting in anything else, and if your life looks more like the first scenario than the second scenario, it's bad news. But the good news is today, by faith, simple faith, you can put all of your bad into Christ, and he will take it, and he will forgive it, and you will go clean and new because of what he's done, not because of what you've done for yourself. And so the writer of Paul says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin for us, right here, who knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
I don't know where you might be this morning, but friend, if this scale looks like anything other than this, would you today, in simple faith, just trust Jesus? So here's that big idea. It sits over top of this text. Easter announces the good news of God to mankind. It's not good news because of business coming to Phoenix or the Super Bowl coming to Glendale or the additional revenue. It's not good news for those reasons, but it is good news because Jesus made it all possible. He's the one that's been looking for you. It's good news because it establishes my relationship with God. You are valuable to Him. And it's good news because it's mine by simple faith. Don't overcomplicate what God has made simple. Don't make it about yourself and your deeds and your goodness. Make it all about Jesus and his works and his goodness on your behalf. All the good we could ever do does not outweigh the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. So instead, trust what Jesus did because that is good news. So I have one question for you this morning. Do you believe this good news? Do you believe it? Not does your friend who brought you believe it, or does your parents believe it, or does someone nearby believe it, but do you believe that good news? And if the answer is yes, go tell somebody this week. Listen, it's news for a reason, because it's supposed to be shared. So if you believe that, and you have by simple faith put all of your works into Christ so that he gives you forgiveness and new life, if you've already trusted in Christ, then go share that good news. But if you're here today and you would say, John, I, I, I don't believe that or I've not believed that or I don't think I've ever done what you're describing, then the good news for you is today can be that day. Today can be that day when you, by simple faith in Jesus, put all of your bad into Christ so that you can have all of his good. And you can be set free from all of your striving and all of your effort and all of your religion and all of your tradition and all of what you've been attempting to do and you can rest in what Christ has already accomplished. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer and response? With heads bowed and with eyes closed, uh, before I pray, you might be here today and in the privacy and in the quietness and the stillness of this moment, maybe you fall into that second category and you don't know if you believe or you've not yet believed or you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you're ready. You're ready. Maybe you understand it today in a way that you hadn't understood it before. Maybe you understand that you've been trying some things in vain. You've had some vain belief that's been dependent on you and your works, and you've just been trying to tip the scale, but today you're done, and you're ready to trust Jesus and become his follower and trust in his work for you. If that's you this morning, two things should be true right now. And in this moment of prayer and response, would you consider these two realities? Number one, you know God is pursuing you. You're not here by accident. You're not here by chance. This message was not an accident. God has been pursuing you. He's been speaking to you. He's been working in your life. You sense that pursuit. That should be true in your life today. But the second thing that should be true is that you don't just want to give Jesus a try. You want to give Jesus your life. Because when someone begins to follow Jesus, it changes everything. This is not just some Easter thing to do because I went to church and I did what the guy on stage said I should do. This is about God pursuing you in order that you might be brought into a relationship with him and this changes everything. And so if you're here today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, but you sense, yes, God is pursuing you and yes, you're not just wanting to give Jesus a try, you're wanting to give him your life. I wanna give you that opportunity today to trust him. 
in simple faith. So by no striving and by no effort and by no work of your own, if you are here today and before you came, you were not a follower of Jesus, but today you say, John, I'm ready. I want to become a follower of Jesus. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand? Just lift it up. Raise it up wherever you might be. Say, John, that's me. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. That's me. I... I'm not, but today I am. I am am becoming a follower of Christ. I want to follow Jesus, not just to give him a try, but to give him my life. If that's you, just lift your hand and put it right back down. Just lift it up, put it right back down. That decision of simple faith is the greatest decision that you could ever make. Father, thank you for these moments. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. God, I pray that As these who've lifted their hands have made a decision of faith, I pray that they would have courage now to continue walking in that relationship that they have with you. Thank you for some, even in the first service, and now some in this second service, who've said yes to you and begun to follow you. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to establish and grow and transform them into your image. And God, we'll thank you for all that you continue to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.